Hello and welcome to the Cycling Cup podcast. A uh, bit of a different scenario here today because uh, James has uh, left us for uh, New York. Pastures new, he has absconded. And uh, he's decided to trust myself and Joe to uh, do the intro and uh, do the news roundup. Uh, there's a few pre-recorded segments coming up. Uh, we're, we're going to talk about the greatest comeback in sport, both within a team and as an individual and that kind of leaded us into talking about the greatest sports person of all time. Uh, then Joe's going to give us a, a topic. Um, indeed, it's going to be spectacular as always. And then we'll hit into our usual feature segments at the end with Dylan's world famous Bamboozled and uh, our usual Take 5. Yeah, Bamboozled and Take 5 have been pre-recorded as well, so James will uh, you'll hear his voice during those too. Yeah, you won't miss him. You won't miss him, don't worry. Uh, we will though. Isn't that right, James? <laughs> uh, right, so Joe, we usually uh, kick it off with uh, a bit of soccer, so uh, tell the people. All right, people. Um, yeah, main soccer news really last week was Champions League fixtures. City with a big win at the Bernabeu, coming from a goal down. Sergio Ramos doing what he does best, getting sent off. I think I heard he leveled the record for all-time Champions League red cards. Madness. How many times in his career now, Joe, do you know? Uh, I think it's 20-something in total, 21 or 22. Mad. Which is absurd. But yeah, so City with uh, two away goals, big advantage going into the second leg in what could be their last chance to win the Champions League for the foreseeable future. Um, Other than that, Bayern Bayern kind of hockey Chelsea a little bit. Serge Gnabry tweeting, North London is red again after he uh, did the same thing when, when they beat Spurs. He's a, he's a funness of scoring in London too, that man. Yeah, brilliant for a man that um, couldn't get his game at West Brom. Tony Pulis said he just didn't think he had it. And uh, <laughs> that, one kinda, that one aged well, didn't it? And Tony, mate. Uh, other than that, there was Europa League. Uh, man United, comfortable win over Bruges. Hockeyed him 5 0 in the end. Fred scored twice, which says enough. Um, and, Li- and, and Linger got an assist. Oh, Jesus. That really, that really oh, yeah, sums oh. the whole night up, really. Poor Mignolet, may need to pack it in after a night like that. <laughs> uh, other than that, the most kind of say exciting but almost funny news from the Europa League is Arsenal losing at home to Olympiacos. Yeah, um, crazy. Yeah, that was a sitter. Like Olympiacos at home, there's no excuse to not win that. So they're out, and Olympiacos now have Wolves in the next round. Yeah, another trip to England for them. Yeah. God love them. Uh, Wolves are a better team than Arsenal right now is the problem that's the other side of it yeah that'll be a good fixture there uh, kind of looking forward then towards the weekend there's not a whole pile of ground breaking Premier League fixtures a couple of top versus bottom Liverpool and Leicester are facing Watford and Norwich respectively so I'm not expecting any major upsets there uh, League Cup finals this weekend uh, Man City against Aston Villa Brilliant. Man City looking to go three in a row looking at and looking to win it for the fifth time in seven years Jeez. which is ridiculous that's sensational yeah I was looking through there earlier The hasn't no one's done three in a row since Liverpool did four in a row back in the early 80s nice. so it'll be a nice record and it'll put them only one behind Liverpool in terms of who's won it the most it'll be 8-7 eight, 8-7 seven. Eight, seven. considering Man City only won their third one in 2014 this will be their fifth one in the meantime and that well I think we're probably doing Villa bit of a disservice but City are going to be out for this one oh, they've taken imagine. a lot of stick this season with falling behind in the league and the European stuff so take a bit of pressure off Klopp or not Pep sorry yeah oh definitely to go out and win three league cups in a row is never to be sniffed at. I know it's still the league cup like but seen uh, an interesting tweet there we, we spoke there about Man City uh, beating Real Madrid uh, it was what was that uh, if Pep loses to Real Madrid He'll be known as the manager that couldn't do it without Messi. Yeah. But if Zidane lost to City, he'd be known as the Real Madrid manager that couldn't do it without Ronaldo. Yeah, this, it's kind of a strange aftermath of the whole Messi and Ronaldo rivalry we've seen that the managers they've been most associated with, I suppose more so Messi and Pep, that those managers then have to go and prove that they can do it without either of the best two players in the world mm. in fairness to Pep like apart from apart from the Champions League he's done everything at City dominated English football um, but yeah I think that's that's the one he wants 
know, it's going to be tainted. It will a little bit, but if, like from a footballing point of view, if they win it, they're going to win it on merit. Oh yeah, but, so, yeah. like that's that's what he wants. That's his that's his holy grail now. It, it kind of has to be because they're going to lose the league yeah. by a substantial. Well, yeah, amount. that's it. It's all they have to focus on in a sense. But it'll also be his third if he wins it, and that will put him level with Zidane, Paisley, and Ancelotti on three. Okay, very good. Yeah, so I think that that's. I think it's what the city owners wanted as well, similar to PSG when they had the takeover, and even Chelsea with Abramovich was they wanted the Champions League. That was that was the holy grail. It was the be all and end all. I think if if City get an extended European ban, I don't, I don't know how the appeal is going to play out. But um, yeah, I don't know if the owner is going to leave or anything like that. But that would be interesting. It would be like it depends what the what comes out of the Premier League's investigation into it because you're talking everything from whether it's only a two or three point deduction to potential relegation. So mm. there's a wide variety of what could happen. But um, yeah, I think we're still expecting. Man City to wrap up the league cup final fairly comfortably. Not if uh, Jack has anything to do with it, I'm sure. Yeah, I think, he, I don't think he's going to see a whole pile of the ball is the problem. Um, if on the off chance if he can inspire Man City or an Aston Villa win, like that gets him into Europe, which is huge for a club like Aston Villa. Oh, sensational! Like it's only an afterthought for well, I suppose City won't get into Europe anyway. <laughs> um, but yeah, you kind of puts another probably five or ten million on him. If if. If City are banned, will it get the the spot in here? Oh, I don't know, actually. It might go to the next league spot. That's interesting. Yeah, we'll look that up. Yeah. Um, might, be, might be on the old Google letter. I'm sure it will be. Um, that's pretty much it in terms of football. Uh, as we kind of await Champions League second legs to come around. Uh, they're starting the week of the 10th and 11th, Tuesday and Wednesday. So that's kind of where focus is going to now with so it's nice to have it back there oh yeah god you'd miss it over Christmas yeah, would you? Would, yeah, yeah, yeah. miss it so much even though obviously as a Liverpool fan it's a very frustrating game but it's still just nice to be back into the swing of it yeah no it's nice to have it back uh, usually go on to GA right about now and uh, it's uh, packed out weekend yeah. considering there's a few weekends there where uh, games were postponed and stuff like that but all day all day Sunday is hurling. Oh, nice one for you, so. All day Sunday. Um, so, yeah, a few of the games are on TG Car and things like that, so we'll, we'll be able to take in a few of them in. But um, No League Cup final for Dylan, then? Uh, no, as if I'd be watching Man City <laughs> and that's the Dylan <laughs> <laughs> League Cup final. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we'll start with football, um, Gaelic football. And this week, for Take 5, it's uh, Mayo versus Kerry. So uh, we'll we'll give our predictions on that later on. Indeed. And um, yeah, it's kind of interesting one because uh, Mayo need uh, results to have any chance of surviving, uh, to avoid relegation. So they need they kind of need a, a result there. But Kerry, Kerry usually step it up a gear when they see the green and red of Mayo. They don't be fun to losing to those boys. Um, no, we were at the game down in Killarney last year, weren't we? Oh, you are. I wasn't. Oh, were you not there with me? No, oh. I was. Uh, <coughs> I was at a rehearsal for uh, Miss Limerick. <laughs> <laughs> Tough life. Tough. We had a sun-soaked day down in Killarney. On a dodgy bus, as far as I can remember. I remember well, you getting off a fairly dodgy bus. Wasn't the best. Yeah, it wasn't the best. Uh, yeah. So and then, uh, uh, Galway sit on top of the table with Dublin with six points there. So. Um, it's kind of it's the first time in a while that I found the watching the football to be competitive. Um, Is it a case of Dublin being dragged back into the pack? It's just a small bit. I I don't even know if it's that. I think just the other teams have kind of stepped it up. Maybe a small bit this year, um, which has been interesting. Even like poor old Mead Meter without a win uh, at all, but they've still been fairly competitive in the games that I've I've watched them in anyways. Um, so yeah, it's kind of nice. Do you think that stems from those teams thinking, right, this is our chance with Dublin, obviously. We're expecting them to go through a slight transition period. Mm. Do you think those teams are being able to step up because it's that extra 
that extra motivator of being like, right, Dublin are going to be a little bit weaker this year. Now is our chance. Let's pounce. Yeah, probably, Joe. You could be, you could be right there. I think Dub Dublin usually have a slow start to the league anyway. Uh, so I don't think I don't think the Dubs are too overly concerned. But um, yeah, no, it's been good. It's good. The likes of Monaghan and those Galway, those kind of teams are, uh, I suppose, providing a challenge, and that's kind of what football needed at the minute. So it's, it's it's been interesting enough to watch it. Yeah, big time. Definitely needed that slightly more competitive edge. It was starting to stagnate. Oh, absolutely. In recent years, I think probably our first seven or eight podcasts, I slated the gate of football. Yeah. So especially when you compare it to, I mean, we've obviously. Spent a lot of time going around to monster championship games, and like the in the hurling, it's been so competitive mm. that like it's been it's been brilliant to watch and to follow. Oh, and absolutely! The football was a real contrast on the other side of it. Football was like oh, Dublin. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. It kind of a lot of people kind of lost interest in it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that, that kind of leads us nicely into the old hurling there. Uh, what's our take? Uh, Tip and Waterford is our take five this week. It is so. indeed. We'll give our predictions on that later, but uh, Tip I would just... I think we can guess which our prediction is going to be anyway. Uh, yeah, <laughs> even even though Tip with just one win uh, against Westmead, who are being hockeyed uh, in 1A this year. It's kind of unfortunate enough for them, but sure, look, th- those are the guys that are trying to make the step up to the big boys. Yeah, that's it. Uh, then it's uh, it's been a good year so far for Watford and, and, and Limerick. Uh, Limerick with the controversy all over Christmas um, they're both undefeated with three wins uh, so they sit top of 1A um, 1A kind of is kind of more open than 1B at the moment as in there's a few teams can still progress uh, 1B is kind of uh, Clare sitting or all, Clare already true and a win over Dublin would secure top spot for them but it would also mean that Kilkenny and Wexford will progress, no matter what the result is this weekend. So um, it's kind of one B is kind more or less decided. Uh, Carlo sitting at the bottom there with no yeah. points as well. So poor Carlo again. Same thing as Westmead there. It's that's just a consequence yeah. of trying to make that step up where you could potentially get a few. When you have to try and play with the big boys, yeah, yeah. It's, sure, look, that's Ireland, and that's how you learn. Yeah, hopefully they'll. They'll learn from that and improve. They're like they're obviously going to go down now this year, but hopefully they'll. When they go back down, they'll be competitive. Yeah, you know? they should have that experience. <laughs> yeah, now. they're used yeah. to playing at a higher level now. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fixtures. Uh, I think we're we're doing another storm though this weekend, unfortunately. So that could uh, play havoc. Um, I haven't could heard of anything of any games being postponed or. No, there's a weather warning in place for up until Saturday evening, I think. Uh, yeah, so, so I wouldn't be warning. surprised if there's a few games postponed there, especially along the west coast. Yeah, absolutely, a lot, lot of flooding there at the minute. But it'll be interesting to see, like, uh, if the wind or anything affects any of the performances this weekend. So that's kind of that's it for hurling, is it? That's, that's it. Now in J terms, hopefully we'll we'll get a few games now, a few good games this weekend. I'd say we will. As you said, it's a fairly packed weekend. Um, on to rugby, I suppose. Um, Big one looking back at last weekend, I think we were saying it there. It feels like it was a lifetime ago now. <laughs> For us, yeah. yeah. Um, England, Ireland. Did you watch it? Um, I didn't. Why didn't I? Oh, I was busy. I was busy playing uh, <laughs> playing soccer. So. Oh, yeah, you won the tip cup, didn't you? I did, yeah. Congratulations. Jeez, that feels like a lifetime ago, <laughs> <one or two. laughs> uh, No, Ireland, England last weekend, obviously very disappointing for any Irish fans I don't think anyone could complain that England were were the better side. Yeah, twenty four twelve. I heard that kind of scoreline flattered Ireland as well. It did. Like the last play, Ireland got another try. Mm. Like I seen that. England just dominated the breakdown. Um, Ireland couldn't get across the game line. It's just England just looked more on it. I don't, know, don't really know how else to put it. They were just sharper. They were stronger. They were faster. Uh, I think it was just one of those days Ireland were just kind of fighting an uphill battle from the start really that's yeah I just heard that yeah that England were obviously um, more aggressive and De- oh yeah way more aggressive Ireland, see it which is kind of Ireland's only go to really now yeah, these a couple days. of miscued kicks off the tee from Sexton as well oh, yeah. bad miscued kicks 
He's been um, having a few of those lately, but I suppose everyone yeah, goes through that. Yeah, pulling him to the left. Strange, like. Um, yeah, Ireland's happen. still in with a chance of winning the championship. If they beat Italy, um, they'll have a chance against France. If they get to play Italy. Well, yes. <laughs> that Italy game. Oh, yeah, so that's been postponed. Yeah. Like if that is moved until after the France game, then that could be the last one. But yeah, either so way, you'd expect when and if they play Italy that they get a result out of that one. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And win against France, then puts you in with a shout. Yeah, three weeks' time. Uh, three weeks with no game and you have to try and play against mm. France. And I suppose morale is kind of down at the moment as well. After a little bit after a defeat like that, you, you'd want to be playing Italy this weekend. Oh, you'd love to be. That's what you Absolutely. want. You want yeah. to get back on the horse, so to speak. Get what you would expect to be a semi-comfortable win. Points on the board. Face into your final fixture then. Big mm. showdown against France. Yeah, it's interesting there. We were uh, we were talking off air there, Joe, about uh, how the game has been postponed. And there's a few interesting facts. The last time, uh, or no, sorry, in 2001, seen the longest ever Six Nations tournament because games were postponed till autumn due to an outbreak of foot and mouth disease. Oh, the foot and mouth disease, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Imagine, imagine starting your, 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 uh, your games in February and not, <laughs> not, finish not finishing until until autumn. It's only five games, like. It's madness when you think about it. Um, but yeah, uh, the last time the tournament ended incomplete was in 1972. Uh, Wales and Scotland wouldn't travel to Dublin due to the political situation here at the time. Oh. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, that's pretty, that. pretty interesting. All right, but Who won? Uh, Do you know? I, I have no idea. That was or did they award a winner if it was incomplete? I have no idea. That's Sorry, fair. Joe. That's all right. I'll have to Wikipedia that one now. <laughs> <laughs> Mystery topic next week <laughs> for you. Uh, but yeah, this is the whole world seems to have gone mad over this uh, coronavirus. So it does. So. Yeah, we were looking through some of the other, um, say, cancellations. I was going to say casualties, but it's probably a bit <laughs> of a touchy subject, I suppose. It's like, <laughs> um, uh, quite a few Serie A games have been postponed, obviously, with the outbreak in Italy, and there's quite a few areas on lockdown. World Indoor Athletics Championships being postponed, and the Chinese Grand Prix in the F1. Kind of the major ones that are being affected now, and... I think we're going to see a few more, especially some of the Italian teams playing in Europe. I know Inter have Europa League game coming up that's in jeopardy. Um, Barcelona had to travel to Naples as well. Okay. So there's going to, yeah, there's probably going to be some issues around that. We'll just kind of have to wait and see. Um, yeah, it's interesting. That, like all these games are being postponed and different things like that, but the flights to and from these cities are still happening <laughs> yeah that is a strange one I was looking at that but I suppose the teams and the clubs don't want to be responsible for people travelling to these areas like if they mm. want to do it of their own free will fair enough that's their business but probably it's mass gatherings really that's it, yeah. it 60,000 people gathered within two acres like you know it's going to be fairly you imagine someone's going to have it yeah you'd imagine so uh, well, yeah, like I said, hopefully they'll uh, manage to contain it somehow and get back to some kind of normality. Yeah, hopefully, yeah. Cause with the likes of the, the Euros and the Olympics this year. Uh, yeah, looking further down the line, some big stuff could get affected. So hopefully. But, uh, yeah, but, uh, as far as rugby this weekend, our take five pick is uh, Munster versus Scarlets on Saturday. So we'll give our predictions on that later on in the show as well. Well, indeed. Uh, into boxing again this seems to feel like a lifetime ago now um, Fury Wilder last weekend Tyson Fury Gypsy King a big win world champion now again some man mate yeah oh brilliant fight Fury was outstanding uh, dominated Wilder really from I felt he, he could have put him down in the third round okay he lasted until the seventh but I feel like Fury was nearly holding back he was happy to just win comfortably rather than try and finish it too fast right. and in the end like Wilder was done there was no coming back for him um, but yeah I think Fury has already mentioned the possibility of another rematch okay I mean, yeah I, I see the other lads coming up with it, uh, a few excuses already there seems to be a, a recurring theme of that anytime there's a big boxing match doesn't it yeah 
they're full of their excuses. Your man came out in a, a suit of armor or something. Big metal suit, yeah. He yeah. said it was too heavy. Yeah, the designer wasn't too impressed with that. She said that other lads have worn stuff heavier and they managed <laughs> to win their fights. <laughs> so uh, I don't think uh, <laughs> there'll, yeah, there'll, there'll be any business between them anymore. No, it was a strange one just the way coming out with an excuse like that. It just seems a bit almost childish in a way. I remember David Hay did it as well a few years ago when he lost a fight. He was like, oh, well, I had a broken toe for three weeks. And yeah. Like you're not going to get sympathy. Like if you have something coming up to the fight and you don't think you can fight either kind of pull out or get on with it oh absolutely yeah there's another thing there I think putting on a stupid costume before the fight as well it's kind of his own doing yeah exactly wrap his own country's flag around him and walk out like Something, a man like, yeah. <laughs> god almighty let's be gassed but um <laughs> yeah no there was something else came out came out there um the, his coach didn't want to throw in the flag and the lad alongside him threw in the flag or the the towel sorry Oh, you could. To be honest, you could see the referee. He was really eyeing him up. He was c- watching him very carefully. I think it was coming anyway. Oh, absolutely. He was going to yeah. call a halt to it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It was Wayne Rodney at that point, so I don't think there's any point arguing over that. Definitely. Again, it could be another half an excuse, like. Definitely. Be interested to see who d- who d- who uh, they're going to fight next, anyhow. Uh, yeah, well, I think the possibility of a rematch is interesting, but I think we all want to see Fury Joshua, don't we? That's I think that's that's the money fight like that's the big one in in Wembley I believe is what people are calling for well that would be fair two mm. English boxers why not have mm. it in England it's the kind of one they'll want to get in Vegas but oh yeah well imagine the atmosphere if that was in Wembley oh it'd be brilliant sensation brilliant um, the only other bit of slightly kind of odd news coming out of the tennis world is Maria Sharapova announced her retirement this week 32 Jeez. Seemed to kind of come out of nowhere, but I was looking into it. She's lost her first round at the last three majors. She slipped to number 365 in the world. So I think it's... Had she, she had some sort of drug-related band, didn't There she? was an issue a couple of years ago, I remember, where the... It was the Russian Federation were allowing use of this substance, and a lot of other countries weren't. And basically she tested positive for it. Okay. And she had been using it, but under the Russian Federation, it wasn't against the rules. But obviously, under the International Tennis Federation, it was. Um, I think she was banned for like a year, something like a year Possibly, or like fifteen yeah. months. Yeah, that's yeah, coming yeah. to mind. Um, but yeah, she came back, and she's never really been the same afterwards. Yeah, I think she had a few uh, injury issues. She's had quite a few that. injury issues as well. Uh, hasn't won a major since twenty fourteen. Okay. So. Yeah. I think it's fair enough. Look, she's obviously just kind of feels she's not going to be able to recover to get back to the top, top mm. level again. So I'm sure she has other things to do with her time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's be interesting there to to know like if she was on that banned substance because of an injury, and then she couldn't shake the injury yeah, now that she was off it. Was it. I remember hearing about it at the time. Uh, Maldonium, I think it was. Or if her body body weakened because of the drug, and she ended up. Suffering from injuries because of that. Uh, I don't know. I don't know exactly what Meldonium does. I remember it was just banned by the Russian, or not banned by the Russian Federation, but it was by the World okay. Anti-Doping Agency. So Interesting. Anyway, she has retired at 32. Very interesting. So Seems to be our news roundup, Joe, is it? That is the news for the week. So Tyson Fury's victory over Deontay Wilder the weekend got us thinking. Like The man came back from being 28 stone um, in a state of depression self-described state of depression um, and came back to win a world title Um, so it got us thinking what were the greatest comebacks in world sport of all times Um, and we started first talking about individuals and then we spoke about teams so I suppose we'll, we'll go first to Joe and what, what what in your mind speaking your expertise is football but what's your greatest comeback by a by a sporting professional in by a single professional yeah let's um, go let's go with people yeah first. yeah there's kind of, there's kind of two categories to it but um, we'll try and narrow it down afterwards um, by an individual like it's kind of hard to compare and contrast across all the different sports I think Tyson Fury has to be up there. 
I think I know it's obviously it's easy to be more biased when it happened so recently. Yeah. But I think if we look down the list of kind of ones we have prepared here, like there's there's not too many have come back from stuff like that. So I think a lot of respect has to go to him for that. Um I think there's been a few examples of people coming back from illness. I remember uh Honus Gutierrez did it at Newcastle and Eric Abidal at Barcelona as well went on to win the Champions League uh, but I think one of my favourites has to be Roger Miller not as serious a comeback he came out of retirement in 1990 to come back and play at the at the World Cup because the president of Cameroon rang him and asked if he'd play the World Cup and he was 38 at the time uh, he went on to score four goals at the tournament and got Cameroon to the quarterfinals semifinals quarters I think Um and then he still went on to play at the World Cup four years later and is still the oldest man to ever score the World Cup so I think that's probably a personal favourite of mine even though probably, like, not, probably not the most difficult thing to come back from my favourite part is that the president of Cameroon rang him at no, 38 years no, of age yeah nothing to do with the football it was just like you need to help us out here buddy yeah give us a hand Roger help your country go to the World Cup he did he's a hero alright fair enough fair enough about yourself Um. I don't know. Tiger Woods is up there, I suppose. Like, I mean, all that he's been through, again, his own fault. Yeah, it's kind of The hard majority of it. Now, again, the whatever his own mental capacity and all the stuff that he caused in his own private life, the one that stands out for me on the Tiger Woods issue is the, the back injuries. And to come back and win the Masters after all of the injuries that he had for two or three years in a row, that's that's got to be up there. It's, it's one of those performances, like just iconic in our time you know what I mean and he's still still on the hunt to try and track down the 18 majors whether he'll ever get there is a whole other story but just one of those comebacks do you think say the stuff in his personal life tainted how much of a comeback it was with the back and the knee injuries as well do you think if he, there hadn't been any of the personal stuff he'd have gotten a lot more credit, praise and credit for it I don't think so I just think it would have happened a lot quicker um, he like his comeback seemed to have been spread out over five or six years. It took a while. It was a you gradual know, comeback, all right? Because it, it all kind of happened, and it was there was various little kind of mini comebacks in the middle. Um, the the major comeback was after the injuries, and kind of that whole personal life thing had been put to bed at that stage. So, yeah. Um, the GA wise, what would be your favorite GA comeback, or in your mind, the greatest GA comeback, Dylan? I wouldn't be biased. <laughs> I hear. Let's, let's get a Brendan Mara fact out of the way. <laughs> but, uh, Brendan Mara. <laughs> uh, yeah, for me, it's Brendan Mara uh, to walk with his cruise yet and then to come back the, the next year to win an All-Ireland and then carry Boris then to their first Munster Championship in over 30 years. is incredible. Yeah. Like, Again, it was one that slipped past my mind. I didn't really remember it being that recent, his injury, because you just kind of see him as an ever-present. Um, but yeah, what a, what a year he's had after being injured. Yeah, absolutely. I think as well a lot a lot of people forget, tips, well, want to forget what, what happened with Tipperary that the year, year because before, it, yeah. was a, it was a very poor year. But, uh, yeah, kind yeah. of wipe, wipe that from your memory. Like. Yeah, yeah, I think a lot of tip, tip people do anyways. But, uh, yeah. yeah. The, the other ones that kind of stand out for me, like, let's let's take the injury ones. I mean, GAA has an amount of cruciate injury comebacks. Henry had, was it three cruciate injury? I think so, yeah. Um, and came back every year and probably won two All-Irelands in comeback years and won, I suppose, while going off again injured. Um, Gaelic football is a, is a strange one. But actually, Gaelic football and Hurland, there's, there's two actual ones we were speaking about earlier. Norm McGrath and Joe Dean, who both came back from from having different types of cancer mm. and came back to play um, like that's a victory in itself even without like for any athlete to go off and, and deal with what they had to deal with and then come back and actually manage to get back to that level to play professional sport that's incredible in itself like oh absolutely and yeah. a different kind of comeback to what yeah, we were talking about yeah I was going to say completely different kind of comeback it's hard to compare it to the other ones because it's more yeah. of a it's really more of a personal comeback exactly. than, a, than a sporting one but to yeah it's obviously remarkable to achieve it mm. The one, the one we were arguing about is uh, is Nicky Lauda. Like Nicky Lauda was involved in a crash in a Formula One race. Um, he was in a coma for 
however long car burst into flames he was on fire himself put out by the, the stewards and a few weeks later he came back and won a race and went on to win a Formula 1 championship a year later yeah. you know again like that's yeah, madness I, when you think about it now I was reading about that one as well apparently he led a, a bit of a protest to try and boycott the race because of the basically the safety conditions of the track right. but there wasn't enough of the racers who were willing to back him so the race went ahead and, and he was the one that ended up getting hurt yeah and apparently three of the racers that day went on to die in crashes at different races in the F1 right but yeah yeah he was read his last rights anyway according yeah. to Wikipedia that's how close he got <laughs> yeah that's it, it's mental when you think about it for yeah. a few weeks after that being in a coma like it wouldn't be allowed now no not a chance Jesus no, no, no. be unthinkable but he'd be out for even, to even get back in and drive the car yeah, yeah. have that mental easy. capacity like it's crazy think about that madness um, another one that came to mind was um, and was one that I knew nothing about was Bob Champion and Aldenati in the 81 Grand National um, Bob Champion was diagnosed with cancer in 1979 and survived it while Aldenati was he had three serious leg injuries and all of which he survived from but they still thought about putting him down and decided you know we'll give him one more go and the two of them came back together two years later and, uh, and won a Grand National together it's not one of those that's like fresh and early, but you know that's an incredible achievement as well. Absolutely, especially it's not just the the jockey; it was the horse as well. It's kind of the the real life sea biscuit, really, isn't it? When you think about it. Yeah, the amount of times those horses just get put down. There's not really a second thought yeah. given, and for that to happen, it's, I didn't know about it before. It probably wouldn't happen in this day and age because it'd probably be too costly for the horse to be brought back to that level. You know, but back in eighty, back in eighty one, you know, um, Andre Agassi was another one that came up when we went researching this. Uh, in ninety seven, he was one hundred and forty first in the world, and pretty much let everything go, just not in any form at all. And in nineteen ninety nine, he came back and and won the French Open. You know, after and became number one in the world again. Yeah, I think we were looking. It was a Roger Federer as well. I think he said something about a a five year drought, which I think we were all quite surprised by. Yeah, because I think in all of our minds, he never really slipped off being one of the, the best top, in the yeah. world. Uh, strange enough, one. Uh, of course, Muhammad Ali always comes into that conversation as well. Definitely, he was, um, he was kind of blackballed from the from the sport of boxing for not taking up. Uh, his his spot in the US Army yeah and came back and took over the world after that when he was allowed back to boxing um, team wise and we'll say game wise what's your what's your favourite comeback story uh, as a Liverpool fan we're going to get hit with uh, hit with two here yeah with, uh, there's two obvious ones that stand out as a Liverpool fan Istanbul 3-0 down against one of the best AC Milan teams probably will ever see Um Obviously, it kind of goes without saying what went on to happen there. And last year, 3 0 down, Barcelona coming to Anfield. Again, it doesn't, I don't really have to go into it. The rest that happened is history. Like, they're probably two of the best comebacks in Champions League history. Yeah. Uh, the other one that springs to mind uh, would have to be United in 99. Again, these are kind of different kind of comebacks to the ones with most of the players where there was more long term, whether it's recovering from illness or injury. Whereas these are, I mean, United's one was what two or three minutes, and it was one nil down, two one up, stoppage mm. time. Just moments of magic, really, especially there, it, yeah. Liverpool and Barcelona. That corner. Was yeah, exactly. And it, again, against against Milan, it was seven minutes. Three goals were scored in. Like it was just these moments of chaos where logic seems to be thrown out the window. Yeah, and Jersey Judah turned into like a wall, a wall for the last half hour yeah that save from Shevchenko uh, there's, there's a second United one in there the, the Busby after the Munich disaster came back and went on to win the European Cup yeah it's probably closer to the personal ones in the sense that it was a, a long recovery and yeah. like many of them were hospitalised I mean Bobby Charlton uh, Busby himself um, mm. after the after the plane crashed in 58 mm. and to come back and win the European Cup 10 years later with a lot of the same players um, and the same manager I think that's I mean all rivalries aside probably one of the best sporting comebacks from yeah. every point of view I mean from a sporting point of view to pretty much rebuild your team and from a personal point of view some of these lads lost like obviously some of their teammates they lost there was a couple of journalists that would have been very close to the squad 
like to rebuild personally and professionally yeah. to win the European Cup. Dude, it's a fantastic achievement. Dude, one story that stands out for me about the Munich Air disaster. It was like, like everyone can be a competitor and you can have like all these rivalries and whatever. But Liverpool and I think Leeds as well, both loaned United players. Yeah. So they could fulfill their fixtures after that incident. And yeah. that, like that shows like what sport does in communities, especially like we can all hate each other on and off the field and whatever it is, but as soon as there's a disaster and you see it again with the with the Kobe thing, everyone piles together and that's the you know, that's what makes sport what it is. Um, yeah, at the time it was uh, Bill Shankly was managing Liverpool and Don Revy was managing oh no, Phil Taylor would have been at Liverpool in fifty eight. Um, Don Revy would have been at Leeds they would have been two big rivals for United um, yeah they both offered to loan them players to get them through just, yeah. like you said these things kind of get put aside these rivalries yeah. but yeah still a brilliant achievement I know it took 10 years obviously that's a long time um, but yeah. um, that's gradual growth that doesn't happen overnight you don't just gain a European Cup winning squad yeah true what um, that's up for me closer to home all right, we all have got to start that again. One that stands out for me closer to home um, is the uh, awfully comeback over Limerick in the 94 All-Ireland Final. Limerick home and hose. Remember, Gary Kirby had been unbelievable that day. And uh, eight points up going into the last couple of minutes. Awfully, the duelies took over and uh, and ended up winning by a, a point late on with a, with a goal. Um, just still stands out as one of the greatest GAA comebacks of all times. Is, is there any other GA comebacks you can think of there, Dylan? That I've that I'm not thinking of. Uh, not off the top of my head. <laughs> I think I think in GA it's kind of hard because unless the game is tit for tat, they're gonna go maybe three or four points down no yeah. matter what. Yeah. Uh, as well as then the goal is worth like three points. So if someone scores two goals, that kind of can kill a lead off as well without be, being seen as a as a massive comeback as well. Yeah, so. you can be eight nine points down and all of a sudden two goals. You're back in the game, so I think it's a yeah. It kind of seems to be a comeback every weekend. I mean, I went to Tip and Limerick in the first round of the league, and there was twelve points in it at one stage. And look at uh, Kilkenny and Wexford a few weeks ago. Wexford were well, eleven points up at one stage, and uh, Kilkenny came back to level up just before the end of the game. You know, so like yeah. it is. It is a tough one. Comebacks are like part and parcel of the GAA, to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. Especially with the weather, then as well. Like you're playing with the breeze, and then you're again the breeze. And one that um that kind of annoys me is the the 2017 Super Bowl. I'm a big Atlanta Falcons fan since uh, since my days living in America, but uh yeah, New England Patriots came back from 28-3 down going into the last quarter to to win the Super Bowl that year. Still goes down as one of the greatest ever American sporting comebacks or <laughs> self-destructs as as they call it over there. Yeah, Atlanta causing to. their own defeat. Um Anything else? There was a couple of more football ones you had for us. Yeah, two of my kind of favourites. One would be the uh, 1953 FA Cup, which is when uh, Stanley Matthews won it. Um, so he's playing for Blackpool. They were 3-1 down against Bolton. They went on to win 4-3. Uh, Stan Mortensen got a hat-trick, which is, I think, still the only FA Cup final hat-trick. Uh, the other one was the World Cup final the following year. And this is kind of my favourite and my least favourite in a way because I, I, I love that Hungarian team. Um, and they were 2-0 up inside 10 minutes against West Germany after beating West Germany 8-3 in the group stage as well and um, West Germany came back to win 3-2 Helmut Rahn scored at 5 minutes to go in Switzerland so a brilliant comeback but I think I don't know So what are we thinking I mean look at all those comebacks we just spoke of what are we thinking is the greatest sporting comeback of all times and this is something we might throw out to our, our listeners at some point but like Fury has got to be up there. Don't think there's very much to challenge him at the moment, but again, it's fresh in our heads. So, I and this is probably the only thing ever where I'll give the vote to United. But I think the the Busby Babes team recovering from the the mm. crash to win the European Cup. I think that probably has to get my vote. Like I said, just because it's there's the element of a serious personal recovery on behalf of anyone that was there yeah. as well as the professional sporting recovery to go and win the European Cup yeah. so I think that has to get my vote for you Dylan uh, for myself and I won't be biased I never, I'd never, i never be biased on this podcast but for me to be to be between uh, Brendan Maher and uh, Noel McGrath 
Uh, especially that Nolan McGrath's man of the match of the year now, I don't mind this year. you're showing complete bias <laughs> for someone who's claiming not to be surely I know I'm just going to play devil's advocate and Brendan Mark came back from what his uh, cruciate cruciate how many players have come back from their cruciate how many players have come back for playing, playing devil's advocate come back from the cruciate to win an All-Ireland and get their club to an All-Ireland club final but look across an amount of sports. How many players have come? Back? How many footballers have come back from cruciate, like cruciate damage? And the club, and the club team that lost the North final, they lost the North final and went on to go to the yeah. All Ireland final. Oh, I don't know. I think people have come back from an awful lot worse. Remember Gibral Cisse breaking both his legs separately in the same year, and he went on to win the Champions League in the middle of that. Hey, that's some going. Hey, if I could come back from my own injury now, it'd be. <laughs> I consider that some comeback. Oh, I don't know. Look. Eric Abidal had liver transplant surgery and won the Champions League three three months later. I heard that was from taking too much protein powder. Uh, no. Don't. <laughs> Take the piss out of Eric Abidal here, James. There's going to be consequences. <laughs> right, moving on. So a conversation that comes up every now and again is who is the greatest sportsman of all time? And by sportsman, we obviously mean sports person. So we include women in that and, and their results because we're not very sexist here. Um, Sorry, messing with pens. Who have we got? If you were put to the pin of your collar, Joseph, and asked who the greatest sportsman of all times was, who would you say? Well, a bit like Dylan always says, I wouldn't be biased now. But um, I suppose from a football point of view, which is obviously where my knowledge lies entirely, uh, it'd be between Stanley Matthews, Johan Cruyff, and Franz Beckenbauer. I think we can probably look at Messi and Ronaldo after they finish their careers. I think Cruyff and Beckenbauer would probably be my two front runners. Right. Um, they would have come up against each other in the '74 World Cup final. Um, Cruyff, I think. Yeah, I think his legacy on the game has been remarkable. I think from that Dutch team in the 1970s in total football the total football team yeah like taking that into his coaching methods and creating the Barcelona that we know today like he was the one that taught Pep Guardiola kind of most of what he knows and like he's carried on a direct kind of lineage like the Ajax Academy as well is very much a product of Johan mm. Cruyff so I think his his legacy on the game has been nearly second to none um, I think Beckenbauer I don't think he needs much of an introduction. I mean, over two decades, he was one of the best footballers in the world, created his own position as the libero, this attacking centre-back. Yeah, essentially a sweeper that would have the freedom to roam into midfield and forward. An attacking centre-back. You can't make this shit up, can you? No, no. Um, this is nearly as good as your overlapping centre-halves playing for Sheffield United. Oh, it's brilliant, brilliant stuff. Anyway. Um, but uh, yeah, Beckenbauer obviously won the World Cup in 74 and went on to win it as a manager. Then again, Italian 90, he was Germany's manager. So I think he's one of what, three players to win the World Cup as a player and a manager. Hmm. Again, I think his, his consistency and his dominance of sport, I mean, three consecutive European Cups in the 70s as well with Bayern Munich when they were just winning everything all around him. Uh, there was a time he was holding the World Cup, Champions League, and the Euros, all at the same time. So, wow! And as winning captain of all three, Just. so I think that certainly kicks him into the bracket, one of the best sportsmen of all time. Yeah, definitely so puts him puts him up there anyway. I think for Stanley Matthews, it's mostly a case of longevity and how impressive his personal life was. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, playing professional football past the age of fifty is sensational. Yeah, that's just but I think that. that kind of gets him in there. Um, but yeah, I think that's going to open the debate with those ones anyway do you reckon do you reckon it's because it's fresher in our mind but you reckon Ronaldo or Messi in future years will come into that equation as one of the greatest sports people of all times um, potentially I think they've definitely like you just look at their sheer numbers and what they've achieved in terms of winning the Ballon d'Or and setting a new standard of like mm. goal scoring and performance and consistency it will probably depend on how much of a legacy they leave I'm sure both of them will leave significant ones but we can't really judge that until it happens that's kind of the main thing whereas these Cruyff and Beckenbauer their legacy has happened and is happening so it's easier to look at yeah do you know that's interesting there uh, I suppose we, we look at Messi now as being one of the greatest footballers but I was in the, the new camp there recently enough and there's a whole section dedicated to Johan 
he's the only person only player that has a completely dedicated section within the stadium's museum yeah, I was I was blown away with it. I was like I was expecting this whole room full of Messi. Yeah, yeah. And he's the, yeah, he's still a god out there. I mean, oh, completely. Ajax renamed their stadium the Johan Cruyff Arena. Mm. Like he's he's a he's like the grandfather of football out there. He's really a godlike figure. Mm, interesting stuff. Yeah, no, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see what regards Messi. Ronaldo and Messi end up being. Yeah, Messi will probably get the stadium named after him once he retires. Oh, quite possibly I mean, they're, they're both going to go down as two of the best in history so yeah. we'll have to see how that one pans out um, if we move on to GAA we'll take Hurland first I suppose like the ones that automatically jump out are the likes of Christy Ring Henry Shefflin TJ Carey TJ Reid more recently Owen Kelly um, like you could name loads of them but do they do you think they come into the conversation for the greatest sports person in the world? Uh, given that it's an amateur sport, that might be a, a, a strike against them. Yeah. It still bo- it shows they're boxing way above their weight. You oh, know, when it comes yeah. to, you know, the sport is only in Ireland. And, you know, like, as you said, they're amateur athletes competing at a professional level. So, I mean, out of those, who, who are you picking? I mean... Who who is your favorite to watch of all times? And Brendan Maher cannot be the answer. I I don't think Brendan was ever in the equation. <laughs> unfortunately, unfortunately. Um, for me, to believe, yeah. uh, For me, Owen Kelly was always a, a joy to watch. The son of the son of God, as he's known, alone South Tipperary. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as a Tipperary person, it was incredibly hard to see Henry and. DJ Carey performing to such a, an incredible level as they did mm. um, they were just superb to watch um, hard, hard as a tip man to admit that but yeah. they were incredible incredible hurlers to be honest, to be honest Henry, Henry for me is the is the greatest hurler of all time I mean his record stands for itself the amount of all stars he has uh, 7 in one position I think we had a, a few weeks back and 11 in 11 in total like just all Ireland titles all, all of the Leinster titles because they were just unplayable in in Leinster. Um, just an incredible, an, an incredible hurler. Like I, I, I remember like being at Tip and Kilkenny All Irelands and like your your eyes were just on him. You know yeah. the whole time you wanted to see what he was doing, even on and off the ball. Um, Rivalry is one thing, but like you, you just have to appreciate it. Oh, sure, class. When you're there to yeah. see that class, you know. Um, football. We were, we were having this conversation about football and like. Again, it's one of those things. There's not a huge amount of them stand out. Gaelic football we're talking about now, obviously not the not real not, football, not that soccer ball not stuff they play in the UK. Not um, those foreign sports. <laughs> um, one the ones that stuck out for me probably two Kerrymen in there, Colin Cooper and uh, and Morris Fitzgerald. I'll probably always always remember being in the stadium for Morris Fitzgerald's point against Dublin from the sideline cut. Okay, very good. Sideline cut, I call it, but from the from the sideline kick. Yeah. Um, Cooper was just a class of his own, wasn't he? Yeah, for me, he, he was... Because uh, I'd be a left-footer now as well, so he was someone I'd, I'd often found myself mm. just watching him. I'm sure he could do left and right. It didn't yeah, matter to him. He was just brilliant. He could find space out of nothing, you know. Um, like, another, another man that I used to really love watching was Peter Canavan. Like, whether he goes into that conversation or not as the greatest footballer, you don't know. But, like, just was able to make space out of nothing, could turn on a sixpence and, like, seemed to be able to kick points from anywhere at the time as well. Um I suppose any of that Dublin side or all of that Dublin side maybe seems to be a Dublin footballer every year that puts themselves in that conversation the Brogan stand out I suppose the Brogan stand out I mentioned the name earlier and I was told no <laughs> <laughs> look Cluxton is Cluxton in Gaelic football I can't really justify putting a goalkeeper in the conversation for the greatest Gaelic footballer of all times he gets football, I'm, I'm he gets football out of the year. Was that like, uh, here, thanks for everything, you're retiring this year, which he didn't do at the end of it. Here's your present. Here's football of the year. Do you think he was the greatest, the best footballer last year? Don't watch football, don't I? Like. <laughs> like, I was going to ask, and this is not going to be a very popular question. Do you think the sports of hurling and football are too small isn't the right word, but it's localised to one country for these sportsmen to be considered the best among the best sportsmen in the world of well, all time we go sp- best sports person of all times so for us it's very relevant because we're Irish 
for anyone else having this conversation out of Ireland probably not relevant yeah that's kind of the point I'm saying like I mean uh, the rest of the names on this list are pretty much global superstars mm. they're all excelled in sports where there are millions and millions and millions of people trying to be the best uh, hurling in football is not that level of like there's simply not the volume of people playing it for competition to be that high I mean, it's just a devil's advocate question, but do you think that takes away from the achievements compared to, say, the likes of Usain Bolt there? How many people have tried to run 100 metres as fast as they can? And he is the very, very best at it. I think you can only play what's in front of you. That's fair. You know, it's it's one of those things, like, to me, hurling is the greatest sport on earth. Oh, like, it definitely has to be up there. I love watching hurling. One of the fastest sports in the world. It's definitely, the most, to me, the most skillful sport in the world. Like, so when you put that against any other sport, then whoever is the best at hurling has to come into the conversation for who's the greatest sportsman of all times, if it's the most skillful sport in the world. You know, so it's... That's fair. No, I can see where you're coming from. I just said I'd throw the question out there on that one. Yeah. Um, Do you think it then takes away from Gaelic football? Uh, they're, they're chalk and cheese, aren't they? Mm. Like even, even football supporters will tell you, like... It's so difficult to watch a game of Gaelic football after it's you've... It's not a great spectator sport, to be honest. It can be. And, and that's the thing. When you watch... the like Over the last couple of weekends, Dublin-Donegal the weekend, Dublin-Vanahan the week before, like actual great games of football because Dublin were being challenged and teams were actually playing football against them rather than being cynical and trying trying to stop them play. Um, but you put them side by side and you put a hurling match on first, like double header on a Sunday afternoon. Yeah. It's like watching, I don't know, a child sleeping. It's that slow compared to hurling. Yeah, if you it, watch, it's a different. If you watch Gaelic football after hurling, um, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but you're right there, Joe, to say that. Like it is, it's it's hard to compare Henry Shefflin and I don't know, Michael Phelps. Or yeah, that's that. That was just why I said I throw it out there. <laughs> like a fish out of water, isn't it? <laughs> um, moving on, so I suppose um, rugby. I suppose for me the two that jump out to me are, are and, and neither of them is Irish is, is Dan Carter and Johnny Wilkinson two of the the greatest of all times Dan Carter's a league of his own just two World Cup wins 1500 plus points in, in world rugby and like seen as one of the greatest sports people of all times all over the world like he's just one of those that's instantly recognisable two uh, kickers James two kickers yeah I think they're more recognisable, but they weren't just kickers. Like, I mean, you wouldn't... For me, Sexton or O'Gara are not in that conversation. Okay. Because I don't think they had the all-around game to be in that conversation. Sexton was one of the greatest tacklers in rugby. Like, put his body on it. Probably why he spent so much of his time injured. But put his body on the line every time he went out there. And didn't just rely... Like, he had the passing, he had... Um, he had the kick and he had everything you know and then Carter was just that but better and you know you got to look at it from another point of view was Carter better because he had better players around him and because New, Le- New Zealand were you know in control for longer but that's again another yeah I think you can apply that to pretty much anyone though I mean you can look at even the ones that I mentioned there the footballers like they had great footballers around them and yeah. I think with any team sport that's going to come into it because if you're part of a successful team you're going to have other great players around you but at the same time if you can stand out in a successful team around yeah. world class players then you must be doing something right yeah. I think Dan Carter definitely falls into that category Yeah, you, you look at Dan Carter would Dan Carter be who he is today without Richie McCaw McCaw like made so many penalties gave him so much time on the ball by you know getting over and the same with Johnny Wilkinson and his name escapes me Johnson I can't think of his first name second row um, oh, I can see him can't think of his yeah, name Martin Johnson that's it um, like just you know you've got to have you've got to have a babysitter basically and those two players were were the players that kind of made the characters in the Wilkinsons of this world so um, does Brian O'Driscoll deserve a mention there or Brian O'Driscoll is definitely the most skillful rugby player did that make him the best rugby player probably not because and again this is gonna there's another argument that can come out of this because he didn't win a World Cup does he does he go into that argument with 
Carter who has two, Wilkinson who has one because and he was on a team, an Irish team, or maybe two, that was touted as possibly winning a World Cup. So you know Yeah, that's true. Like it could be argued that to enter that conversation of being potentially the best ever, you need to have delivered at those big, big moments. Yeah. I, mean, I think we all remember the two thousand three World Cup final. Johnny Wilkinson like that was iconic yeah. like that was the all, moment all the that won the World Cup yeah. exactly like you know uh, O'Driscoll is definitely in the conversation but for me he's behind those two at least um, moving on I suppose what's, the, what's next do you put Tiger Woods in there I think he has to go in there does he go behind Jack Nicholas in golf simply because he's behind him in the major stakes or does he go ahead of him based on the fact that it's far more competitive now. I would have to say ahead of him. Like, Nicholas played in an age when courses were shorter, there wasn't as many players that competing at that top level. Like, Tiger changed the game. He came out, yeah. took over from day one. He was hitting the ball farther. Like, there's an argument to be made for that golf courses are longer now because of Tiger Woods. Because he was hitting the ball so far at the time. He was definitely the catalyst for mm. golf becoming more of an athletic sport, so to speak. Without a doubt, yeah. Player, you've got golfers you know, hitting the gym, like they're working on obviously upper body strength just to hit the ball further and everything. But look look at the ones, the next generation of golfers that are now in the mould of Tiger. The Rory McIlroy's, the Brooks Kepka, the Ricky Fowlers. They've all, Jordan Sweet, they've all modelled themselves on Tiger. And there's an argument to be made that like either one of them in Tiger's time could have been as dominant but they're all here at the same time yeah you know that's so. true they could have been as dominant at the time but would they have been there without the catalyst that was Tiger Woods so. he's always going to like that the iconic ad uh, sorry iconic ad it's like I am Tiger Woods I'm Tiger Woods like you couldn't ever see an ad like that being made about any other golfer no I don't think it quite has the same ring with like <laughs> Bubba Watson or someone yeah. there I, I love Bubba so do I but <laughs> Bubba and his pink driver I wish I thought that. <laughs> uh, so you put Tiger into that conversation. Like one stands out for me. We're, we're talking about Olympians. There's probably two: um, Michael Phelps and Usain Bolt. Like Usain Bolt dominated for three straight Olympics. Yeah, setting a world record. Like setting a world record was... after world record. Nine gold medals. Uh, what helped him as well was just his. I suppose his charisma and his that like helped him go to that kind of celebrity status that you see some sportsmen reach um, but like I don't think I don't remember being younger than that and like tuning in to watch the 100 metre sprint and be like oh whoever would have been running I suppose yeah it, it became Asafa Powell and Tyson Gay I suppose would have been the big ones before that yeah you're, look, you're even looking back to, to maybe Linford Christie yeah Michael Johnson you know you're looking at those players um just it didn't really have the same range Usain Bolt just kind of took it to superstar level didn't he he did like you just you made sure you tuned in to watch the 100 metres like because Usain Bolt was in it and you just yeah. didn't know was he going to break another world record like he was it's one of those isn't it like, he added an X factor to a fairly mundane sport it's a simple concept of who can run from A to B the fastest and but the world stops for it yeah like that 100 metres Olympic final everyone stops to watch it like like it's a it's a 9.9.5 second race but everyone wants to be in the stadium to see it yeah. even if you're only over on the far side of the stadium in the corner you still want to be there to say like I think that was it went down as one of the one of the only sold out sessions for the Olympic Stadium at London 2012 oh yeah mad isn't it jeez alright um, Katie Taylor there was the boxing on solo no, that wasn't in the Olympic Stadium the Olympic Stadium okay it's a different one now so. oh um you compare then Usain Bolt's nine medals with Michael Phelps' 23 gold medals. Yeah, I think the obvious kind of disclaimer to that is that Phelps would have competed in a lot more races than yeah. Usain Bolt. I think if Usain Bolt had had the opportunity to win, was it eight races that Phelps used to compete in? Because I think it was at one Olympics he won all eight golds, which is yeah absurd. But I think Bolt's level of dominance in his field was similar to Phelps. Yeah. Phelps just simply had more medals to earn yeah Phelps really just there was no real competition to him there for a while was there oh, I think that was kind of his own doing like he was just smashing records yeah. I mean you see him even when he's standing there like he's he's not built like a person 
<laughs> like the length of his arms, like he's just he's built to swim, mm. and he's pretty good at it as well. In fairness to him, yeah. Um, I think the level of dominance between those two is probably fairly equal. I think it's just that Phelps had the chance to win more medals. Yeah. Speaking of dominant Olympic performances, we've got to bring Katie Taylor in there. Like, walked her way to an Olympic gold medal, had numerous world titles before that. Had was robbed of an Olympic gold medal in her last outing and then went on to professional boxing and just completely took over. Yeah, she hasn't looked back since, has she? No, completely taken over and like definitely goes down and has to go into that conversation as pound, we call it pound for pound, one of the greatest sporting people of all times. Yeah, I mean, definitely one of Ireland's greatest sporting heroes for sure. Yeah. Um, like I think her gold medal in 2012, I know she had won some world championships before that, but I think that was the moment where everyone in Ireland stopped and watched and you know it, you kind of remember where you were when it happened like it's one of those real iconic moments in Irish sports so I think she deserves a lot of credit for that and she's just kicked on going from strength to strength since then yeah uh, another another female athlete that kind of comes into those conversations and we'll talk about them is Serena Williams 23 major titles insane no sign of stopping absolutely insane you know um, like Form is temporary, but class is permanent. I mean, like you could see her getting 25, 26, 27 before she retires, couldn't you? Oh, quite easily, yeah. You like know. she's she's been so dominant in women's tennis, and like I remember when, I'm gonna say the early two thousands. I think the first decade, like from two thousand two thousand ten. I think there was only one Wimbledon final that didn't have at least one of the one Williams sisters. sisters yeah. But like they were so dominant, it was insane. Yeah. And then Serena just kicked it up another level, and absurd like she yeah. did it after I mean, she caught her foot at the Wimbledon after party one year she got I think she got like septicemia or something from it and she was out for the whole year and didn't come back to Wimbledon the following year and won it won it again yeah yeah and I think she's she's had a child as well hasn't yeah, she and yeah. she's come back and still won majors yeah. mad stuff mad stuff it has to be up there I mean I know we're going to mention the three that have dominated the men's game in tennis but I think Serena definitely has to be in there here's something like that you know, like, until you go looking at records, you don't really realize it. Pete Sampras was one of my favorite tennis players when I, as I was growing up. You know the way Wimbledon comes on every year. You're a kid. It's just on the television while you're at home. Like you're outside playing tennis over the gate. I was always Sampras. I was always, you know, wanted to be Sampras. Sampras had fourteen major titles. He held that record for years. Yeah. Now you've got three that are still playing that have more than him: Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic. Twenty, nineteen, and seventeen, and none of them really show any signs of like staying at those numbers no like I mean none of us would be surprised if Nadal wins another three more French Opens yeah and, and Djokovic like you could see him winning a Wimbledon you could see him winning a US Open this year and getting himself right into that conversation for the best of all times definitely I mean if he wins I mean he's been particularly dominant on hardcore like if he wins mm. the US and the Australian suddenly he he's just busy. he just won the Australian um He's in touching distance of the record as well, yeah. and Federer is never going to be too far away at Wimbledon. Yeah. Now he probably has less years in, in the tank than the other two, but yeah, it's, uh, he also has the lead. Yeah, and you, you, you to be the champion, you got to beat the champion. Well, I think when we talk about those three, I think Federer was the initial one. He dominated five Wimbledons in a row, was it? Yeah. Well, what was it? I know Nadal did seven, seven or eight row. French in a row, yeah. and then last one, and then did another four or five in a row. It's crazy, crazy Ridiculous. stuff. Ridiculous. Um, Formula One. Michael Schumacher always comes into that conversation, but Lewis Hamilton is, is quickly becoming part of it. Uh, Schumacher had seven world titles. Lewis has six. I'm probably going to get a seventh one this year. Yeah. <laughs> you just don't like Lewis, do you? I have no strong feelings for <laughs> or against him, to be honest. But um, my only issue is whether someone whether driving a car can put you in contention to be one of the greatest sports people of all time when there's so much work and engineering and money goes into the car itself like they're obviously highly skilled in what they do mm. and like don't get me wrong on that but I, don't know, I think I never really liked it because it was never a sport that you could play you know <laughs> but you know when you're a kid like you it's said for, when Wimbledon's on you go out the back and you're hitting a tennis ball against yeah. the wall or for me it was obviously kicking a football or you're playing hurling like yeah. you can't go out and drive an F1 car around the backyard like. 
Yeah, well, to me, to me, Formula One comes into that conversation a lot quicker than like Indy Five Hundred or NASCAR or whatever. Oh God, else, yeah, I because they're that. just going around and around in circles. Yeah, pretty much. You know, I suppose that they all have their skills in their own way. You know, um, uh, Formula One lads, so there's some of the fittest people in the world. They have to be able to survive the G force from the car. Yeah, I've heard some weird stories about that, about them having to like sleep with their helmets on and stuff like that to adapt to build up neck muscles and things like that. Mad stuff, mad stuff. Um, I, I just think it might take a little bit away from some of their achievements, the fact that they have teams of engineers and everyone behind them. and like There's so much goes into like their pit stop times and everything like that. Yeah. They have no control over. I, I think that's why um, Michael Schumacher would probably go down as the greatest as opposed to Lewis because technology has advanced so much. Yeah, that's probably fair. That he probably did have to rely on his driving skill a little more than Hamilton does now. Yeah, power steering is just becoming a thing when when Michael Schumacher. Yeah, there, pretty much. So, so I think that would probably give him the edge when we look back after Hamilton's career finishes. Yeah, I suppose even even looking at like a lot of um, Schumacher's titles were won with Benetton, who are no longer a team, and I, I can't remember who they had as their their main supplier of engines at the time. But they didn't have a works engine, whereas Mercedes is just a complete another like full works package. So. Oh, it's insane. And more money being put into it. Um, can't have this conversation, I suppose, without bringing in the likes of Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Tom Brady. Not sports that we're as familiar with on this side of the Atlantic, but... No, but like, still. Still. Like, very dominant in their own fields. Yeah, like, Kobe comes into that conversation as well. I mean, LeBron or Jordan has six NBA rings. Kobe has five. LeBron James is still on three. Hoping to get his fourth this year with L.A., um, like all just I guess we can count ourselves so lucky to have been around at a time to watch these guys play Tom Brady's probably going to go down as the, the best football player of all time oh, more than likely oh, I yeah. think when it comes to basketball probably the debate will still be between Jordan and LeBron Yeah, I think Kobe probably has to come third there yeah he has he has the rings but like LeBron has beaten most of Kobe's records already yeah um, and is chasing down the, the last remaining ones of Jordan so yeah just it's an interesting conversation we might throw this out to the listeners and do an old bit of a can we throw that question that Joe brought up there about the, the DGA and is the American sports can they be considered as the greatest sports people because it's all localised um, yeah I think it's definitely a valid point I think it's it couldn't be considered as localized as Irish sports just simply because of the amount of people in America. Like yeah. that, I don't know the well, population it's of America. It's a whole continent as well. Pretty much, yeah. Like so, I mean, it's probably as competitive as, say, football would have been 30 years ago when it was strongly dominated by Europe and South America yeah. and kind of Western Europe and South America. So yeah. probably looking at similar populations in America now. So... It definitely takes away from it a little bit when it's not a completely global sport that you're dominating. But I think there's so many people, like obviously everyone in America has grown up playing football, baseball, basketball. So I think to get to the top of that, it, it's an ultra competitive sport. Yeah, we might, we might throw a bracket out to, uh, to the listeners and do some, do some work on that and see what they think and over the next few weeks. Send, right. us, send us an email there, ma'am. 